great to be here tonight, and uh, I'm very grateful to be here tonight. It's been a, a very, very tough, very hectic week uh, for both Julie and I. Uh, some of you may know that uh, Julie had a fall on, sun, on uh, Monday night, and uh, one of the things that I have certainly discovered uh, this week in particular is that there is a similarity particularly between international uh, long-haul travel and waiting for a doctor at the hospital. Uh, <laughs> because you feel the same kind of tiredness right at the end uh, of the actual trip and the same sort of tiredness. We, we actually got out of the hospital, I think it was about 3 o'clock on uh, Tuesday morning, um, so it was a little bit uh, tiring, but uh, praise God, uh, Julie's head is healing well, uh, and um, yeah, she actually fell and hit her head on the corner of the uh, kitchen post, and uh, we un uh, at home, we actually have hardwood uh, for a frame, so it was... Uh, Unfortunately, she won the battle between. She lost the battle between the hardwood, hardwood and, and her head. So I'm very grateful to your prayers, particularly tonight uh, for Julie. Uh, those of you who were praying, and and I'm super grateful for those young co uh, people that came over and helped us out. Um, particularly John and Chloe and uh, Lisa. They they came over Monday night and helped us. And a special thanks to you guys uh, for that. So uh, without any further ado, though, we uh, might get into our study tonight. And what I was wanting to do is to actually continue in uh, chapter 3 of James, uh, which is uh, only this time we're going to be talking about a different subject. Uh, last time, of course, you might remember we actually spoke about taming the tongue. Um, and, of course, uh, we did, the, however, uh, go through a little bit of revision. But before we get into that, I'd just like to pray and just seek the Lord to uh, help us tonight and help us understand what his word has to say to us. So let's bow our heads and we'll just pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for this wonderful privilege of being out here tonight and thank you, Lord, for the uh, wonderful privilege of getting into your word and, and reading it. And uh, Lord, we would pray that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and discernment and understanding as we uh, study your word tonight, Lord. Let the words that I speak, Lord, not be mine, but your words. And I pray that whatever I say tonight, Lord, will be an encouragement to those that are listening. We thank you and we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so most of you uh, would remember what we talked about last time, particularly in the book of James. Uh, James was actually writing to the uh, churches that were actually dispersed primarily in the diaspora, as we all know, and uh, he was writing primarily to encourage his readers to consistently live out their Christian faith. And uh, it's, it's not easy sometimes. You know, we, we do get angry. I, I mean, when somebody so, sort of comes in in front of me in the car, I, I mean, I just feel, I want to get that person. But no, it is a little bit difficult at times. To have joy and patience in the face of trials is one of the things that he was wanting people to get to, to understand. And to let their good works be a demonstration of their genuine faith. Uh, he was also wanting people to literally be doers of the word and not just hearers. Who believes it's, it's certainly easy to be a, a, a hearer of the word, isn't it? We hear it every Sunday, we hear it on Wednesday nights, but it's another thing during the week when we actually have to be a doer of the word. Um, and uh, when we're put in stressful situations, um, I know, you know, particularly at the hospital, it was a little bit difficult. I was sort of saying, when is this doctor going to come? You know, but uh, praise the Lord, you know, he, he uh, takes care of us all the way through. Now, uh, there was a couple of main themes that we looked at uh, in there, one of which, of course, was the fact that true religion uh, shows itself in patience in the midst of trial, in the midst of trials. And then we looked at uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, and we saw that uh, God was not a respecter of persons, 
and uh, he doesn't respect a person whether they're poor or whether they're rich. Um, they, both people can be literally in danger of temptation. So it doesn't matter whether you're rich, doesn't matter whether you're poor, you can still fall into temptation. And uh, he, James was also pointing out where our focus needs to be. It needs to be on things that are eternal, not things that are on, in the world. Um, he then goes on in chapter 1 and he talks about things like God cannot be tempted by evil. In fact, God does not tempt any man. In, uh, man is only tempted by his own lusts and then when he's enticed, he, he uh, allows that desire to rise to action and that, of course, then births sin. Then in verses 17 to 20, we learnt that we, everything we get is a gift from God. Even our work that we go to day in, day out is a gift from God. And we should be thankful for the fact that we actually have got work that we can go to. We also learnt that God is the father of lights out of uh, verses 17 to 20. God is unchangeable. God, uh, and, of course, uh, God is, uh, has voluntarily saved us. He hasn't actually, we, haven't begged, we haven't literally done anything of our own, free, of our own volition to actually save us. We, we, God has literally saved us by the precious blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we cannot in any way earn our salvation uh, whatsoever. Uh, then, of course, we looked at uh, verses 21 to 27 or, or in, in chapter 1, uh, and we looked at some of the things that we need to do or the guidelines of actually being a doer of the word, like laying apart every, every sin, laying apart and putting aside the, and casting off what causes us problems and, and so on. We learn uh, that we need to receive and accept with meekness the word of God. Hmm. We have been freed from the ceremonial law, which is a yoke of bondage, and have been grafted into the law of liberty in Christ. But what we have to understand is that law of liberty does not in any way, shape or form tell us that we can simply do whatever we feel like. We have been freed to literally live for Christ and in Christ. Okay, we then looked at uh, the chapter 2 and uh, we looked at uh, some of the various uh, verses there. In chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, we looked at faith without works is dead. Now, this is a passage that a lot of people get a little bit confused about because uh, people confuse Paul's teaching with that of, of uh, James's. And the thing is that what we have to understand is that Paul was actually teaching that it is our... Uh, it, it's actually um, our faith uh, that leads us to salvation, okay, we, we, that leads us to. Uh, Paul talked about faith that leads to salvation. James, however, speaks about faith that is actually comes after our salvation. So when he's saying, show me your works, he's basically showing me, saying, me, okay, let me see proof that you are saved because we need to have those good works to show that we are actually saved. If we just simply come to church and say we're saved and then go out and live an ungodly life through the week, how can we say that we're actually saved? Then, of course, we, uh, we came to chapter 3 and we looked at the passage of taming the tongue. And a couple of things that we looked at last time when I was actually up here was the fact that uh, what, we, uh, what the Lord... Uh, sorry, what uh, we are not... To, we are not to literally lord it over people with our words or with our actions. We must not in, in any way, shape or form think that we know better than anyone else. And, and people can easily fall into that. Um, because, and it, James went on to say that don't set yourself up as a judge or a jury 
And he did that for two reasons. One is that uh, one, we have to come back to the fact that one day we're going to be judged. We're all going to stand before God one day and give an account. And the second thing is that we are all sinners. So we're no better than, each, than, the, than the next person. We're only saved by the grace of God. Have you heard the phrase, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven? And how true that is. We are definitely not perfect. We are forgiven in Christ. Okay, we need to learn to bridle our tongue and we need to know the power of the tongue. The power of the tongue, of course, is, is pretty, pretty potent. Uh, if we look at a ship, remember we looked at the example of a ship and how a ship has a very tiny little rudder, but that ship can be the size of two football fields, basically, and that little rudder guides it everywhere it want, needs to go. The same with a spark that actually leads to a forest fire. A spark that actually starts a fire like that starts very, very tiny. But then before very much time takes place, you've got this huge fire that's engulfing a whole forest. So what we did learn is that man cannot tame his tongue himself. It literally takes a supernatural act of grace and taming the tongue requires daily surrender and submission to God because it isn't easy. Have you ever been in that situation where the uh, bank teller's not taking, uh, taking a little bit too long or something like that, and you are just thinking you want to let fly and, and uh, say, what is going on? So we need to learn to bridle and to tame our tongue. Well, of course, that was last time. Now, tonight, what we want to do is we want to have a look at James chapter 3, verse 18. So if you've got your Bibles there, uh, let's have a, a bit of a look. We're going to look at verses 13 to 18. It's only a couple of verses, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll just check that out and uh, see what it's got to say. Now, while we're turning to that, one of the things that we have to remember is that uh, these churches uh, that James was writing to was no different to the churches today. They all had problems, big problems, some of them. There was uh, lots of things that were going on and we're going to look at a couple of those things right now uh, as we go through this tonight. So let's have a look at this passage, James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, and it says this, "'Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth.' This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy." And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Well, there you go. We can probably go home now, can't we? <laughs> no, we're going to have a little bit of a look at this actual passage. Okay, so after taking 12 verses to deal with the problems associated with the tongue and the dangers of it being unruly, James now turns to the root cause of the problem associated with what was actually happening. The primary problem was the people in the church were demonstrating the carnal wisdom of man and not the wisdom that comes from above. The wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit. They weren't demonstrating that kind of wisdom. They were demonstrating carnal wisdom. Okay, so, sorry, I keep forgetting to turn this on. This is my little... Okay, so let's see if I can get that to flick. Could I get the first slide up? Ah, that's it. Wisdom from above is exactly what we're going to talk about. 
Okay, so has anybody ever come across anyone who uh, says things like this? Uh, they say, well, let me tell you something. Has anybody ever come across anybody that says that? Or they might say, uh, I think I know how it should be done. Or I've seen, I have, I've never ever seen a problem that I can't solve by, my, by just applying my own knowledge and my own know-how. Has anybody ever come across anybody like that? Hmm? They are around, trust me. Well, it's interesting to hear and to see a quote from the preacher Charles Spurgeon himself. And I'm just going to bring this quote up. I'm just going to uh, read it out to you. It says, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all greater fools for it. There is no fool so great as a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Hmm. Charles Spurgeon, very, very good preacher indeed. Now, going back to uh, the time of the early church, of course, one of the uh, things that was actually infiltrating badly into the church at the time was the idea or the concept of Gnosticism. Does anybody have any uh, understanding of what Gnosticism is? No? Okay, well, Gnosticism is basically the, uh, a collection of religious ideas and systems which originated in the first century AD and among early Christians and Jewish sects. It, uh, the, these various groups emphasise personal spiritual knowledge over all the orthodox teachings, tradition and authority of the church. But the question that we have to ask, is that what James is actually preaching about? Is that what he's saying uh, when he says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? And we, we've got to ask that question. The answer to this is... Uh, it comes from just a casual reading of the next verses where James makes it quite clear. What he has noticed amongst the churches was bitterness, envying, strife, see those words in the verses, which was leading to confusion and evil works. So there were some serious problems being brought about by people's belief that they had been endued with specific knowledge. And that's the whole idea of, of Gnosticism, is the belief that your knowledge is what can actually save you. Your knowledge, you can actually reach a stage of enlightenment, and so therefore you are enlightened in your whole being and you can achieve your own salvation. Uh, masonry, for example, is based on that, uh, Freemasonry. Uh, it's based on the idea of, of enlightenment and, and reaching to the 33rd degree of being a mason. Uh, and, of course, uh, very, not a lot of people know about what masonry is about, but it's a, it's a very dangerous occult uh, practice. Um, the Greek word that, the, that uh, James actually uses here is a, is a word called epistemon. I'm, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that. Maybe Josh might be able to... <laughs> correct me on it, epistemon, and it means intelligent. And it stems from the word epistemi, which carries the meaning to comprehend or to be acquainted with or to know or understand. So effectively, James is asking his readers, who of you has intelligence or has the ability to comprehend and know and understand, or understand? Okay, so why is he asking this? It's a good question. 
He gives the answer in part B of verse 13 where he is saying, if there is one among you with these qualities, then let him show, uh, let him show it out of a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, the first reading of that would say good conversation. Ah, oh, well, he's talking about words. Mm, but let's actually have a little bit of a look at the original uh, word that is used here. It's, uh, it's a word called anastrophe, and translated, uh, it also it means conversation, but it also carries with it the meaning of behaviour. Okay? So as well as words, it means that let him show forth his, his understanding by his behaviour uh, outside of just simply the church building. Uh, so true wisdom is not just demonstrated by good words. True wisdom and is demonstrated uh, by uh, good behaviour as well. Um, he then goes on to say, he uses the phrase at the end of the verse, meekness of wisdom. And the emphasis here is on the, tr on the term meekness, which carries the meaning of mildness and humility. So this kind of wisdom we are to show is to be that which is accompanied by mild temperament and humility of heart and remembering and putting others before ourselves. Make sense? Now the problem, of course, in the early church was that Gnosticism was creeping in and people were, were starting to think, well, I've got this secret knowledge that you don't have, so that makes me a better Christian than you. And, of course, it was also, what, what do you think happens at that particular time when a person starts to think, well, I'm a better Christian than you? Do you think it has something to do with pride? Hmm. Pride tends to come in and it starts to puff the person up. And, of course, that's what James was definitely speaking against. He was saying, no, you don't want to be puffed up. You don't want to think that you're smarter than the next person. You want to make sure you're only saved by the grace of Christ Jesus. So that makes you no better than anyone else here. Okay? I like Matthew Henry's comment when he says, when we are mild and calm, we are best able to hear reason and best able to speak it. Wisdom produces meekness and meekness increases wisdom. Now that James has set the scene in asking who among you would think himself to be wise, he now proceeds to set out what is needed for true wisdom, verses 14 to 16. He lays out a rather powerful and foreboding way that characterizes characteristics of earthly and carnal wisdom before his readers. So what does he say? He says in verse 14, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth from above, but is earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and evil work. So James was really laying it on thick here. He was telling them in no uncertain terms. Here James clearly points out the problems that have arisen in the churches. Envying, strife was occurring, but it wasn't just envying and strife. James says it was bitter envying and strife. But worse still, it would appear that there were those in the churches who were glorying in their envying and strife. Not a good situation at all. Thinking themselves to be wise and better than others, they were running down love and peace and giving way to bitter envying and strife. By doing this, they were proving themselves to be a shame, literally, to their profession of Christianity if not a complete contradiction of it. Because what we have to remember is that those people outside, they're watching us. They're watching every single thing we do, as is our children. 
as well. And we have to make sure that we are living the life that the, the Bible tells us that we are to live. So by doing this, they, as I said, they were proving that they were, they were making a contradiction of themselves. Hence, James utters the word, lie not against the truth. They were literally living a lie against the truth of God's word. They were, on the one hand, they were being all pious and great on, on Sunday morning coming to church, but then during the week they were living like the devil. In other words, not, not, uh, not all that good. So what does James say about false wisdom that the churches had themselves enmeshed in? Firstly, he tells the readers the wisdom is definitely not from above. In other words, it is not from God. In fact, James boldly, boldly tells them this wisdom they have, are demonstrating in works of envying and strife is nothing more than earthly, sensual and devilish. Now, I actually listed those, and, but I won't go through every single one. Uh, we'll just get to number three, which says devilish. Now, it's, it's rather interesting. The word that he uses there, it, it actually uh, stems from the word uh, daemon or daemon, and uh, it means a demon or supernatural spirit. Okay? So the kind of wisdom they were demonstrating was actually demonic wisdom. Hmm. It's because of this that James states in verse 16 that it is this kind of wisdom that leads to not only envying and strife, but also confuses and in every evil comes out in every evil work. In fact, he tells them that what they are doing is not demonstrating the very is demonstrating the very nature of demons, not the nature of Christ. How would you feel if you were a church and getting this sort of a letter? Hmm. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. And I, uh, let's turn back to chapter 1, verse 5. And I'm going to have to try and wrap this up in about five minutes. This, is, this will be interesting. Uh, let's turn to chapter 1 and verse 5. And what does he say there? He says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Wow. What a wonderful promise. Okay, so we saw that in chapter 1, verse 5. Now in verse 17 of chapter 3, James is telling the churches about this wisdom that they need to come to God and ask for. In verse 17, he says, But the wisdom that is from above is first what? It's pure. Then it's peaceable. Then it's gentle. And it's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits. And it's without partiality, and it's certainly without hypocrisy. And then in verse 18, he says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that makes peace. So the first thing he talks about here is that it's a pure wisdom. It's properly clean. It's innocent. It's, uh, it's perfect. It's chaste. Secondly, he says that it's peaceable. It's, it's pacific. It's basically seeking the peace of every situation. It's not the kind of wisdom that says, Hey, I'm better than you because I know better. It's the kind of peace that wants to see. It's the kind of wisdom that then comes out and seeks the peace of a situation. The wisdom from above is gentle. In other words, it is appropriate. It is by implication mild in and in moderation, and it's patient. Set fourthly, uh, fourthly, he says it's easy to be entreated. And simply put, this just simply means that it's good for persuasion. That is, it's, it's compliant, it's easy to be entreated. It can be relied upon with inward certainty, this kind of wisdom. And it is friendly, it's obedient, it's trustworthy, it's persuasive, 
and it's willing to yield. You ever come across a person who doesn't want to yield? Not, doesn't, doesn't sound too good, does it? Fifthly, it is a, uh, full of mercy and good fruits. And the thing is, when, when it talks about being full here, the actual Greek word, when you look, go back to the Greek word and understand it, it means literally filled to the brim and full. It's stocked. It's crammed with mercy. It's literally chock full of mercy and good fruits. It's honest. It's virtuous. And then sixthly, he says the wisdom is from above is without hypocrisy, meaning it is undissembled. That is, it is sincere. It's without dissimulation. In other words, it's without hypocrisy. It's literally unfeigned. It is undisguised. It is not pretended and it's not feigned. You've been in a situation where you've seen somebody and the, the wisdom they, they, they have seems like it's just not quite right. Yeah, and that's called feigned, feigned wisdom. That's, that's not, not true. If you want to use the Aussie vernacular, it's basically wisdom that is fair dinkum or genuine. James finishes the chapter in verse 18 by giving a clear picture of what is the fruit of this wisdom that is from above. And he said, firstly, he says, it is righteousness. The person who seeks after and possesses the, the wisdom from above seeks after at all times and possesses righteousness. This righteousness can only be obtained from one person, and that's God himself. You can't obtain it by yourself. When we possess and demonstrate the wisdom from above in our Christian walk, we are literally mirroring Christ and his righteousness in our lives. And this, in turn, then brings peace. And the thing is, it's not just a peace for the here and now. It's a lasting peace, which is wonderful. And James, uh, as James states, it's peace that is sown. It's scattered. So it actually affects when, uh, other people as well. And it brings them to peace, the, kind of, uh, that, the, the peace that comes from this godly wisdom. So this, in closing, this needs to be the desire and testament of all who claim Christ as Saviour and Lord. If we are to walk the walk and not merely talk the talk, then we have to show this kind of godly wisdom. I tell you, I fail at times miserably. I get angry, especially with my wife from time to time. Sometimes I need a slap around the back of the head from her. <laughs> not that she does that. But uh, the, the truth is, we need this godly wisdom. And if we, if we find ourselves starting to uh, come back to our own wisdom, we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, my wisdom, I need to get rid of it. I want your wisdom, not my wisdom. Show me how to work through this situation. Show me what I need to do. We are to seek after and desire the wisdom from above, which literally leads to righteousness and peace with God and with our fellow man. So they're just a few thoughts on that little passage. Uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope that it gives you something, a little bit, a little bit of meat to take home and to chew on. Um, uh, one of the things that I have discovered going through the book of James is that James doesn't pull any punches. He really lets the people that he's writing to know uh, how they can, uh, what they're doing wrong and how they can actually change it. And this is, the godly wisdom is one specific way. We need to seek that wisdom all the time. So basically that's it for, uh, for tonight's uh, message. 
Um, what we are going to do now is 